0: Hello, and welcome back to Beyond Boards, a podcast dedicated to the actions and interests of skaters beyond skateboarding. My guest today, Oshin Tamas, is a lifelong skateboarder, writer, and storyteller from England. Alongside co-founder Moch Simas, Oshin launched the diversity skateboarding magazine Skatism. He was also involved in the launch of Free Movement Skateboarding in Athens, Greece, He helped organize the second edition of Pushing Borders in Malmö, Sweden in 2019. And in recent times, he became the communications manager and chief writer of The Skate Room, a Brussels based organization which works with artists to fund social projects related to skateboarding. So here's my conversation with Oshin Tamas. I hope you'll enjoy it. How about you uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, growing up, and and how you how skating uh, started for you? Uh, yeah. Can you just tell me again how how to pronounce your first name accurately? Yeah, it's Oshin. Oshin. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's an Irish name. My
1: mum's side of the uh, family, uh, Irish background, and uh, I got the name. I mean, uh, even my uh, the name I use, uh, Oshin Tamas. The Tamas is actually a it's from the Scottish side of my family's. It's the Scottish rendition of Thomas, I believe. But it's actually a middle mm-hmm. name and I use it as a surname because my full name is so sort of ludicrous that it would never fit on a colophon of a magazine, right? So when I started working <laughs> for a magazine, I was like, I need to shorten this. <laughs> like, okay, okay. So yeah, so actually, yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, growing up, I grew up in a kind of quite uninteresting suburban uh, satellite city to London. Mm-hmm nice really nice place i was very lucky to live there my family had lived there for a couple of generations and it's the kind of place you sort of spend most of your childhood trying to set fire to because you know there's enough green space that you can go out and make mischief and build bonfires and stuff mm-hmm. uh, but it's close enough to buildings and things that you you kind of have to be a little bit careful as well so it's yeah. quite a fun place to grow up. I remember St. Albans always felt super cool until I got to the age where I could drink in pubs and then suddenly it was like the most boring place on earth. <laughs> but yeah. up until then, when you're skating and like breaking into like, uh, you know, the local like college that had been abandoned for years and you're jumping three sets and like scuffing up your elbows and mm-hmm. all of that with your friends, like it's super cool because it's not it's not really built up like London would be. So you're not running into cops as often, you know, but it's also not totally without... Uh, urban kind of landscape and, and it's a really great place as well because it's home to the pioneer skate park which is like the old the longest standing uk indoor skate park okay um, and it's also kind of a bit of if you if you trace back uk skateboarding it has a real kind of part of the history it, it holds yeah it's kind of hold, holds a special place in a lot of people's hearts like the death skateboards crews that oh, always yeah. in all of the Death skateboards videos like you've got the pioneer skate park as one of their indoor features and Jenna Selby actually, shout out Jenna Selby who ran road skateboards and also organized the UK girls skate jams back in the day. Mm -hmm. She worked there for a long time and was a bit of a mentor for me along with like all the other staff members at that skate park. And, you know, she was linked with Lucy Adams, who obviously is an amazing pro skater from the UK and who should also have on the podcast, by the way, who's sick. And she's, I think she's now like heading GB England, the Olympic thing, but I don't want to, I don't want to get that wrong. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mention her because I actually just uh, reached out to her uh, a few days ago. I remember she was the she was the first like skater
1: I saw demoing at a park where I wanted to bite her style so hard, like the way, <laughs> She had like super white, like yeah, just really cool look, great hair. Like just I remember being like, that's 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 a look. So yeah. I remember like for <laughs> well, into my memory from as a kid. Uh, but yeah, so I was I grew up really around that, and I was home educated, so I had a really liberal family. My mom's was mum's side is very kind of anti-establishment and Mm -hmm. my dad's side my dad's super creative and he was actually a music producer alongside his career for a long time like making trance music and now making like uh, avant-garde analog synthesizer synthesizer music and stuff and my mum was kind of uh, a human rights lawyer training uh, to do that kind of in the evenings and looking after me and my little brother at home in the day and I I was lucky to have a family who were just down to pitch in and like teach me so my grandmother taught me English and philosophy and stuff like that and my mum kind of general guidance towards like what was right and wrong in the world and my dad did bits of science here and there my granddad and my mum's side did history but only like Irish workers history and communist history like very specific like, <laughs> things so and then the rest of my time I just spent basically at the Pioneer Skate Park and so that's how that's how it really kind of came up and I was the kind of kid who was stealing my mum's skinny jeans my dad's oversized shirts listening to like metal music and trying to post like stunt edits to google video before youtube was out you know like that was what i was doing
0: <laughs> do you remember how old you were when you when you first started like uh, seriously skating if, if you can if you can call it that or it's like nine or
1: ten years old i think yeah okay. nine or ten years old so i'm 28 29 now so yeah coming up to 20 years which is uh, quite a nice actually there's a reflection for you it's quite nice to realize that and uh as I said, like having like people like yeah the staff at Planet Skate Skatepark and also like Alex Barton who skates for Love and Skate and also runs ABC Skateboarding in the UK, which is like a coaching kids coaching scene as well. Okay, they were always like like mentors, and we had this little crew called Original Skaters, which was our name. And mm-hmm. uh, within that crew was Will Ascot who runs Free Movement Skateboarding, the Athenian yep. charity and he's in Athens, like, exactly, and he's like my oldest friend like from back in the day and we used to like we were tearing around that that abandoned college like early in those sets when we were like 12 years old uh making those edits
0: mm-hmm. did you ever try to go um like um on the sponsor route and try to like make it a, as a pro skater was that a kind of a <clears throat> daydream or or was skateboarding always just a, a fun outlet for you and, and you didn't really you know try to get a career out of it basically
1: it's kind of funny like in in retrospect, I remember spending a lot of hours sitting at home drawing like just with a pen, like just drawing magazine covers or like shoe. I'd draw around like the shape of a shoe and then like redo the colors and or make like make a pro model board designs and stuff. But there was something about that that I always enjoyed more than the idea. Like I did one competitive run and it still haunts me to this day at the pioneer <laughs> at one of the open jams and it was like 60 seconds and i just tried to like backside board slide along and down the kink rail okay and i just did that for a minute and didn't land it once and i remember the feeling uh, of like tension of like feeling everyone watching you and i was like this sucks like it really <laughs> wasn't for me yeah, and yeah that might have been reflected in the fact that you know throughout you know, my career and stuff, I've always attempted in some way to kind of put the stories that I wanted to tell or wanted to help other people put out there, like try and platform those rather than have my opinion be the kind of main thing. Because you know some journalists who have their columns and have their real opinion side. And I think they're really fun to read, but I've never been that kind of writer. So I think it was reflected way back then that I was kind of really into the skate world, but I wasn't going to follow that kind of thing. Like, Again, it's like the type of skaters who were attracting me were the type of skaters who also had other stuff going on. And I also wasn't like super at ease in like big crews of like football guys or like skater guys or whatever. Like for me, it was always I was always a little bit on the on the fringes of feeling comfortable in certain crews. And Uh I was lucky that at the Pioneer there was a nice community there. But in the years between when I left St. Albans and went to study and when I moved to Greece, eventually I kind of lost touch with skateboarding as a regular thing because i couldn't find that scene of people that i felt like was accepting in the same way as they yeah. back in the day Sure. it's like the dark ages of skating for me a little bit it was that kind of bit where you're like where are all the kind of non-traditional skater crews like and why yeah. do i need do i need to love these particular types of skaters or these particular types of like these aspects of skateboarding why do i have to love them in order to be able to hang out here yeah. that was yeah, a weird yeah. kind of discovery for me for sure
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to talk about that for sure. Um, So you studied uh, literature and philosophy after you graduated from high school. So can you tell me a little bit about how you first started your career as a a storyteller, basically, because I I guess that kind of sums up what you do. You're a writer, you're a communications manager now for the skate room. We'll talk about that eventually. But uh, but yeah, can you tell me how, how you got interested in literature and philosophy? Yeah like uh, it was definitely when I was home educated and
1: you know I was reading I probably spent a lot of those hours at home when I sh- when I wasn't really properly studying like playing Tony Hawk pro skater or reading like <laughs> teen teenage fiction and like my mom would just do routinely kind of be like you should be reading Simone de Beauvoir and Pride and Prejudice and Camus and stuff like this and and I you know I did as much as I as I could to kind of Let's say uh, to follow those instructions, and occasionally I would fall back to Harry Potter, hidden behind like the, <laughs> whatever she was trying to put in my hand. But you know, yeah. after a while, it really, yeah, it started to really strike me that I could be home educated. I could kind of decide what I wanted to follow. Like I don't think I had a science lesson properly till I went back into school for my GCSEs, like which is what you know, fourteen or fifteen or whatever. Like I, I just didn't ever find it that interesting. And it is okay. interesting how uh, syllabus driven education this is my experience, but syllabus-driven education can kind of be, you don't realise that you can, you can pick it up really fast once you're in a, once you're in a headspace where you understand the value of education. But when you're not in that place and you don't know what the value is and, and you're not passionate about certain things, it's very hard to kind of take in the information and keep it there. Yeah. So when I was at school, before I came out of school initially, I didn't like literature, I didn't like reading, I didn't like anything. And then by the time I went back into school, I'd found this real love for literature, for writing as well. I was trying to write novel all the time throughout my whole life just always trying to like write little stories and things like this and and then when I got to about the age of 15 16 I already knew like I want to study this course at this university which was yeah UEA in Norwich and uh, weirdly again Will Ascot from Free Movement also ended up going to the same university so oh okay we kind of continued we've always kind of lived in this like parallel uh, yeah it looks like par- it, yeah. parallel lines <laughs> yeah so went there and then when I was out there I was doing little bits I think I did like a couple of articles for the student newspaper on like there was a kind of uh, issue that was happening at the time where the UK government were pressuring academics and people in institutions to report instances of extremism to the police. And it was largely, it's called Prevent, and it was largely to basically target like Islamic people who, if there was any suspicion of any kind of extremism or whatever, you'd basically just be able to kick them out of the court. So it was this very kind of very suspicious like witch hunt thing that was going on at the time so i remember that was like the first time i did an article that i felt kind of engaged with politically and then
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then from there little bits of work doing music reviews and stuff really but that was about it and it wasn't until i moved to greece my erasmus period that like it all started picking up
0: okay so you went to greece so that was towards the end of your studies right so you did like an erasmus program over there it was in my second year
1: I went to Erasmus, so that was 2014. Okay. And yeah, it was a weird thing because, I mean, I'm sure on your side, like in the European side, like Erasmus is very common. Like Everyone kind of yeah. knows what it is. Sure, but in yeah. the UK, I was the only person I knew who did it, which is a very oh, okay. crazy yeah. thing. So, yeah. And I remember when, when I went, it was just after, you know, 2014. It was really a tough time for Greece politically, yeah. economically. And they actually said, you know, like, we cannot guarantee that this is going to be a fruitful Erasmus period. We can't guarantee, like, we don't know who's going to be your, you know, your uh, advisor. We don't know who's going to, you know, we don't know anything, basically. You can go if you want. And I was just like, well, it it sounds really hot. And I'm reading loads of Socrates because I'm at uni. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to go to Greece. And so I just did it. And I remember waking up like 3 a.m., I was super scared of flying so i did like a two week inter to get there and i woke up at 3 a.m and was like i literally had this moment where i'm like i'm going back to bed i'm not going like mm. screw this i can't do this i'm too it's too scary all that and then just sort of took myself like a zombie and then woke up sort of two weeks later was in exactly this anarchist district like with a bunch of people i didn't know in this like weird squat student house and it's just like well i guess i'm
0: here then and, <laughs> and there you were yeah looks like it was a, a very important period of time for you because that's where you met with the uh, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Mosh Simas, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm butchering his mother. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the other co-founder of Skatism and um, yeah. and and you also helped. I think that was a little bit later. But you helped uh, you mentioned Will Ascot, you helped him uh, start uh, or at least you helped him a little bit with the foundation of free movement skateboarding out there. So yeah, can you tell me a little bit about going to Athens and how it, how everything kind of shaped up for you over there? For sure,
1: yeah. Like, I mean, honestly, I look back on Athens and that, particularly that first Erasmus trip, because I've been, I sort of lived maybe four years total backwards and forwards between Athens over the last uh, decade and not quite a decade, eight years. But it's been, it's been a, it's probably the most formative thing uh, in mm-hmm. my kind of adult life because everything came out of arriving in Athens and googling skateboarding in Athens and finding skateism.com, which back then was this kind of blog slash kind of sticker project slash little video it did like a bit of local scene coverage as well and that was run by Moch and there were a couple of other people who had helped uh, him along the way kind of grow that it was really I, I, I'm always kind of credit where credit's due in terms of the co-founding aspect like it was Moch's concept and uh, in 2014 two years after he'd kind of got it up to that point and we met on the street one day, like I'd, I'd emailed basically skatersm.com on there, or they'd gone through their contact form and Mark was like, yeah, come meet us at, uh, this local skate shop and we'll go out together and so we did that within a couple of couple of weeks like he'd invited me to write for skatism and to do to do some little blog posts and all these things and it was kind of quite clear that he wasn't really satisfied with what it was and you know I wasn't interested in like writing you know like reposting thrashers reposts of content you know know what I mean it was like it was one of those kind of situations to begin with but what we did have was this real love of this kind of non-traditional side of skating and it was i mean Athens the scene because because the industry was obliterated by the crisis like the skateboarding industry was obliterated to the point where you had pro skaters who had been legendary really like skating with you know anyone in the street and like careers being kind of ended or massively put on hold people having to get like juggle multiple jobs to kind of keep themselves going where before they had sponsors and things like this like it was the most DIY, like we can't trust our government to give us what we need. So we're going to take matters into our own hands. Like seeing it inspired me again after that kind of dark period of not really knowing what skating was to me. Yeah. Yeah. For a while, you know. And and I'd been gotten into so many conversations with Moch and with that kind of crew who are very artistic people as well. And, you know, it was like, what what do we what really turns us on about skateboarding? And it was like, well, there's at that time skater stand was really coming up it was beginning yep. be sort of started you were seeing more ngos pull up yep. and were reflecting the kind of thing that i'd seen as a kid in my little bubble of like oh no you know like skateboarding doesn't have to be this real kind of traditional thing and it doesn't have to yep. follow the lines of sort of western or american culture that's been adapt- uh, associated with it and and you were seeing that like you know for example with Skatestan, communities in the middle east where it was like a higher uptake for girls than boys, for example, yep. and you're like, "Wow, this culture is this is planting the seed for a culture that's going to be unrecognizable to the Western skate world in a few years." Yeah, and like we can learn from that. That we can learn from this like fresh take where we don't have the shadow of of uh, of kind of yeah, I don't know, West Coast surfer start. Like, not that there's anything yeah, wrong yeah. with that, but I'm just saying, no, it's like no, it's, of course, but uh, yeah, there are other manifestations of it, and. That's what I, I liked about that. And so from Mog, we chatted and we thought, well, okay, if I'm going to be doing some writing for skaters let's write the stories that are interesting. So we did, you know, we were doing interviews with Oliver Perkovich who you had on. Yep. Yep. That was one of, that was my first big scoop was Ollie? I remember like, he was like the first person to really grant us like as a small blog, like a proper story about like the five years of skaters down or something. I think it was at that point. And, uh-huh. and then from there you get linked to other people and, and You know, then was doing an interview with Lucy Adams and then was doing an interview with Jenna Selby, who I mentioned before, and then moving to yeah different communities, different cultures. And then from there, it kind of grew because the more people who were getting involved or were offering to write for us or wanted to, let's say, you know, just give a little bit of support to this kind of new sort of publication, Mm -hmm. the more it it developed, we never had this idea that it was going to be, you know, in any way like LGBTQ plus focused or non-Western focused or women X focused or anything like that came off the back of the interests of Moch, interest of myself the interest of people who who came along the way who every single one of them who's ever on any credit for skaters and fully deserves to be on this podcast because they all have such an amazing like take on the world mm-hmm. so it just kind of came came from there and you know a couple of really great breaks along the way and and the big person who came on board who really helped was sam mcguire who is oh yeah the photo editor right exactly he was the previous fo- photo editor so we both left in 2020 2019 2020 but but then, okay. he was kind of the first person we reached out to and said, you know, this is what we're doing. Do you want to be involved? And, and Sam came on board. And it's I count, personally, I have to thank Sam for so much uh, of what I've been able to do because he's been the person along the way who's gone, like, yep, I'll connect you with that person. I believe in what you're doing. Yep, this is a good idea, but maybe do it a bit more this way. Sam's been there, and I still talk to him every week for other projects, and I just count him very, very, very dearly. And I think... Mm-hmm. It was thanks to him largely as well as everyone else along the way that Skatism was able to do any any of the stuff it did. And yeah, I mean, it was an amazing time, but I think also because I know that everything every all good things kinda of come to an end in terms of my involvement in twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, it was time for me to kind of step away for sure.
0: Yeah. So that's that's when you 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 uh, stopped working with them at Skatism and, and also um, I just mentioned very briefly before a free movement skateboarding in Athens. Uh, oh yeah. So how how did you get involved with uh, with them and how did you help them out basically?
1: Yeah, um, free movement I think it was twenty sixteen that free movement started and Will obviously being a very close friend of mine he sent me a message and he was saying I'm going to volunteer. I mean Will's an amazing guy. Will spent most of his adult life not getting a job and or working in he'd spent up to that point just working in bars and stuff in order to save up enough money so he could then go volunteer you know for various skate projects and stuff mm-hmm. so he went to Palestine did the skate path thing which is where he met Ruby Matea who's the uh, who's the co-founder of Free Movement with him and that's right. both of them then decided after Will had done a, a volunteership in Athens with with this community center out there which focused on uh, like refugee communities and and he sp- spoke to uh, to a charity out there and and said you know I have this idea for this <laughs> (laughs) I always laugh with him about it. He has this idea, had this idea to like cycle around some ramps in the back of a trailer to like camps and teach kids. And Mm -hmm. Athens is all Hills. It's like all Hills. It's like San Francisco Hill bombing, like taken to the extreme. So like, I I always laugh at him (laughs) the idea that he thought he was going to like, get these like robo legs, (laughs) and be like cycling (laughs) a skate park up and down the hills. But He came back and we would chat. I remember we had a drink in this bar called Homesick, which I still uh, go to whenever I'm in Athens. And he just sort of like put the idea out. He's like, this is what I want to do. And we kind of shot the idea backwards and forwards just to help him kind of mull it over. And then literally, I think it was a year later or a few months later, I went back to St. Albans. We met up in the bar. We were growing up playing gigs in as kids. And he said, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Here's the first logo sketch. Here's what's going to happen. Tomorrow I've got my meeting with that same charity to see if they'll fund me and yeah, it all kind of happened. And then, you know, I was out in Athens when he moved over there and him and Ruby drove their van out from England. It got burgled along the way in Italy. They got all of their yeah. shit taken. It was crazy. Shit. And then they arrived, set up fresh. And at one point we were just, again, a lot of these conversations with me what seemed to happen in bars, but he was like, mm-hmm. I need someone to do the communications side of things. You know, help us out with that. Do you want to do it? And mm-hmm. yeah, from there I just was like, yeah, sure. So we we kind of started bunked up all together in this like dodgy house in the anarchist district, Exarchia, where we were getting routinely tear gas, like almost like clockwork every Thursday wow. night. You'd just be sitting there watching an watching escape video or something and then there'd just be like that smell and you'd start going blind and you'd just be like, right, everyone into the back room and you'd all just kind of pile into the back room, put your towel under the door, wait out the tear gas. We used to come home and like, we came home once and it was amazing. Like this is a classic, classic Athens scene. You're a mm-hmm. skater. There's a guy on a moped. So you hold on to the back of the moped and there's like a trail of four of you being dragged up the hill on a moped by some stranger. Right. So we let go <laughs> as we got to our street. And as we turned the street, there's a car on fire outside our front door and literally outside the front door. Like you couldn't wow. have walked into your front door. It was on fire. And there was a woman standing. to the car kind of crying me like, oh, my car got set on fire by a Molotov cocktail that gets routinely thrown on the street we were living on and stuff between the anarchists and the cops. Okay. So that was a crazy bit of time, actually, and it was yeah, it was amazing. Like it. <laughs> but now it's it's really great to to see that over the last five years of of free movement that they've gone from you know really this grassroots uh, outreach program to being something much more settled much more they're much happier out there and everything's more consistent and but that those mm-hmm. kind of early days of starting it all out it was amazing to to be a part of it at all and I, I have to say you know i have the gall and like the strength that will and ruby both show and and the people who volunteer for them and work for them today like to go to the sessions every day back then to do all that and then come home and be living back then we're living in that kind of environment and stuff you know i was the guy behind the computer (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. i see you know i did a few i definitely did some sessions while i was out there and it was an amazing humbling experience experience and all of that but i mean i my mental health couldn't couldn't take it for as long as uh yeah well you were there for for
0: a little bit you 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 worked with them for at least two or three years i think right so I was there for a year with them, and then I worked remote
1: for another year oh, okay. from London. And then and then I went out there again routinely over the last few years. So okay. I've been kind of consulting with them for a lot longer as well, yeah.
0: Okay, okay. Have you been able to go back since uh, the, pa- the pandemic started? or? I have, yeah. I went back uh, in January briefly.
1: I remember I've actually got... A, I went back in like October, no, January before COVID really hit Europe and there's a video Mm. on my phone, which I watch all the time, which I'm with my little brother on top of uh, a mountain in, in, in Athens. And you can hear in the background him like UK confirmed third case of COVID 19. And it's like, (laughs) like a flashback. We're like, wow, third case.
0: like Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I've been
1: going back, back and forward with, uh, to work. We did a rebrand recently for free movement, which I was heavily involved in. So I went and stayed up there and worked very closely with the team on that. And then prior to that, you know, as I was stepping away from, uh, Skateism, there was a lot of kind of meetings out there and a lot of like figuring out the logistics of it and you know skatism still going with moch and uh denya kopita who's editing it now who's also keep track of her rad skater amazing writer storyteller she also works with free movement um still so you know it's like the scene out there is changing and developing all the time so like and it's home it's it's a home for sure and yeah i learned greek when i was out there ish so i can speak well enough to go back
0: you know Yeah. yeah, Very cool. Yeah. I've been to Athens once, but uh, yeah, I I, I really loved it. It's really beautiful. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure you must have had a great time out there. Uh, And and, yeah, the skate scene seems really amazing and super like open minded and, and inclusive. And yeah, it looks really, really cool. It's cool. And there's a lot there's a lot more in terms of like,
1: like Ruby is running the is it the Philakia? i can't remember what what they're called but they're the kind of like non-traditional sessions there because there's a big kind of scene of uh skaters queer skaters non-binary skaters and everything yeah. is growing in that in those kind of areas right now in greece as well which is like it is all around the world really like so it's it's, it's awesome to see that as well
0: yeah 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 for sure so I also saw that you worked a bit with Pushing Borders for their 2018 and 2019 editions in London and Malmö. I was interested in knowing how how you worked with them basically you were uh, I think you were like a, a consultant with them. Um what was your yeah. participation your involvement basically with the with both editions?
1: Yeah, like for so for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Pushing Borders is was a is was a conference for uh kind of progressing conversations around skateboarding and right mm-hmm. both in terms of the culture and the industry and and the aim really was to you know invite different voices on and and see where these debates would end up and how it would impact skateboarding as a result and the first edition was in london uh, in 2018 i hope that's right i'm I'm trusting you've done the research because that whole period of time is like uh, just just stress. a bit of a blur <laughs> yeah you know I mean? <laughs> i'm yeah. sure yeah But uh, yeah, 2018. And so that was also the year that skateism had sort of, I think we were, I can't remember which issue of the magazine we were on there, maybe the second or third. And I was trying to distribute some magazines at Street League when it was in London. And I ran into uh, the gang who were organising Pushing Borders back then, which was Theo and Charlie from SkatePal, Tom and Sander, who are both academics in skate-related subjects. and. Okay. All these people, again, amazing to have on the podcast because it's sick. Yeah. Stu, who's a, Stu, who's a member of Long... was an original like Long Live South Bank uh, dude and mm-hmm. now does an amazing job trying to find public space for skate-related projects. But again, I can't remember exactly what where he's at now. And mm-hmm. Phil, who worked with Skate Power as well and sort of emceed and helped arrange the event as well. And I ran into them on the outside the, uh, the Olympic Park where the Street League was happening. And we got talking and we realised who each other kind of was because we hadn't met in person and oh yeah okay and yeah they'd invited Mark and myself to sit on a panel that year specifically to talk about this way of changing conversations in skateboarding to some degree and Mm -hmm. and it was a it was really amazing like I met so many uh, interesting people and and the next year you know it was just sort of a logical thing that when the Malmo edition started coming up yeah, the crew invited me very kindly of them to, to help organise the event. And specifically on my side, I focused on the kind of creative, guiding the kind of visualised aspect, but also putting together some of the panels, particularly like those that circulated around the subjects that, you know, we, was, we were covering in the magazine at the time. Sure. And so when we went to the, uh, it was like, yeah, it was one of the craziest two weeks of my life. And I think anyone who was there will attest to sort of how transformative it had felt because, you know, there were a lot of difficult moments, a lot of challenging moments and a lot of beautiful revelations as well. And, you know, to this day, it happens all the time. I meet people on Zoom and they're like, oh, yeah, no, we met at Pushing Borders. And it's like I've drawn a blank, like there was yeah. so much <laughs> going on that it's actually impossible yeah. to recall everything that went that went on there but it was amazing time man i couldn't i couldn't be more thankful to all of them for doing so much work to make that happen and for letting me be a part of it at all you know it was awesome
0: yeah it looked i i've been uh, watching a bit of the talks that happened at the Malmo edition and uh, yeah the panels are incredible and the conversations and the, the topics and yeah it's just really really cool I actually just uh i wrote to um I keep butchering names I'm very sorry but uh, I think his name is Sander Hol- Holskins or something like that Hol- yeah
1: Holskins yeah yeah,
0: yeah uh, who's one of the organizers one of the directors I think of Pushing Borders. exactly and yeah. I was asking him if there was going to be like a, a new edition of it sometime soon and he was like well we'd love to you know to do it again but uh, with COVID and everything obviously everything's been on hold uh, but yeah hopefully in 2023 maybe I don't know about this year but uh
1: yeah, I'm praying for it as well like, you know, I ask Theo, uh, I see Theo probably the most when I'm in London and stuff and I ask him, you know, what's going on and I just think COVID it comes down to making sure that, you know, there were so many volunteers who had to come and did amazing work and mm-hmm. you know, in the end with the, with the scope of it, everyone needed to be paid. Like and that's that's where I think everyone would like to see it go if it was going to if it was going to happen again, it yeah. needs to happen. It needs to be done justice in every, every kind of regard and COVID-19, any threat of it being cancelled halfway through is just it's not worth the trouble but it's lying sure. dormant I love I love pushing borders like people are still kind of mention it and like oh, it's lying dormant is it going to come oh I've heard a rumour it's going to be here oh, I've heard a rumour it's going to be here mm-hmm. and I, I have no idea I don't think I'll be involved in, the, in organizing a, the next one yeah. and the next one but I mean it's amazing to uh, to kind of also be one of those uh, people just kind of waiting for the, for the drop you know if the Instagram post to go up one day <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs>
0: Before we get to the skate room, which is your current uh, main occupation, if, uh, if you can call it that, yeah. I saw that you worked uh, not too long ago for um, an agency in Amsterdam called Super Stories. I was just interested in in that because I also saw that it covered fashion and and also natural wine. And uh, I used to work in the wine business myself uh, for a few years. So I was just interested in in hearing a little bit about how you were involved with them and and what kind of work you were brought to uh, to cover uh, with these guys. Yeah, so... Back when I was in Athens
1: and Skates was first starting I also had a first like editor job for this uh, very very long-standing Greek fashion magazine called Ozone which is owned by Yorgos Kalefis who's a good friend of mine and um, mm. he really helped me out and when I moved to Amsterdam a year later or whatever um, which is where I've been living kind of on and off since he was able to hook me up with Peter Van Roen who's uh, the owner and creative director of Superstories Agency and you know, this was a, a part time position that I held for many years, learning a lot about the creative industries and learning a lot about communications. And and Peter himself had also previously run Code Magazine, which in Amsterdam was a big kind of style publication in its own right. And everything he did, he comes at it from a very like storytelling first, substance first angle and it taught me a lot about how to tell a story from finding where the real human value is in it you know what I mean and not and not necessarily falling by the structures of storytelling that we are told all the time that the are the main ones you know the hero's journey or anything like that I think yeah he was very very holistic and very hu- human focused in the way he tells stories and and it was also like a surrogate family and kind of like almost like a lifeboat at times because if things were going well with my other projects I was able to kind of negotiate and be like look I need to take some time or we'll go down to two days a week so I can do pushing borders for example and at other times when like when I was like I need to step away from this project I need some money he'd be like, okay, cool, well, you can come on board and we'll find some extra things for you to do. And so we were very close throughout the five years and and he was always super um, supportive of everything. And, and you know, he came from a, even a skate background himself. He used to run Reload magazine, which was a skate and surf and maybe snow publication, I think. And okay. um, so he also understood that world and what you're going through when you're trying to, you know, kick these projects up. And, and he, because he loved all these cult- little cultures, like, you know, it, it was always. I always found it really funny in those in that office because you know, one moment you've got boxes and boxes of like natural wine turning up, and he's just uncorking them. He's like, everyone learned about this because we're going to be doing a project where we, uh, you know, we work in this industry, or or. And the next month, it would be like speakers coming in to try them out because we had a client in that world, or. Uh, or denim, we did a lot of work in denim, yep. so we had to learn everything about denim. And it was like, it's actually really funny how, you know, in order for us to do the kind of substantial storytelling we were doing and the commercial work we were doing, we needed to know in a much deeper way than you would usually, like, what are these scenes actually about? And, yeah. Natural wine was just one that stuck. Like, that was one of the ones where, you know, with the connections we made while we were doing that in Amsterdam, I kept up with those stores and those distributors. And my best friend, Laura Lee, she's now working at uh, a wine, natural wine store called Rebel Wines and is, yeah, Mm -hmm. killing it. She's really in the wine world. So it's been nice to kind of learn through her because i don't think i've got the most developed palate. i don't think i'm and it's also not where i come from for me what i love about natural wine is that you've got people who like quit their jobs in it bought a horse and rode that horse to like the other side of the world just to like pick a grape And it's just like there are these crazy <laughs> stories behind every bottle and right, that right, reminded right. me of skating a little bit you know what i mean it's
0: like very true yeah
1: yeah those individuals who are doing something really different in a culture you know regardless of what the culture is and in some way subverting those traditions that can be seen as kind of quite exclusive like wine has and yeah well, offering yeah. something
0: fresh you know
1: but i mean i don't know how you see it like how you worked in the wine world like what's your kind of take on the natural thing
0: well i uh I have a kind of a strange history with wine and alcohol in general um, I actually don 't drink anymore because uh, i went I drank too much in my life basically but <laughs> but yeah, uh, but yeah I, I was super passionate about natural wine because it was uh, it was kind of like with anything I first started to learn about wine and then got interested in organic agriculture and then um, eventually learned about natural wine and absolutely loved it uh, even though a part of it is a bit snobby and a little uh, elitist, you know, um, at least yeah. in Paris, it was where I was living and working. And I didn't really like that part of it. Because uh, I was I, I always viewed wine just as a, it's basically just grape juice fermented, you know, it's a very simple product. It's very accessible. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this super like snobby thing. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I I think the storytelling around wine and especially natural wine is super interesting. And there's some parallels between skateboarding and natural wine in a way uh yeah. in the sense that uh that, yeah there's just some super interesting people and who have interesting life paths uh in both uh worlds basically
1: i think yeah i totally agree it's like it was what attracted me to it is it's like you open the thing do you like the taste of it or not that's all that matters and beyond that it's you know, what made you buy the bottle in the first place? Well, usually it's because someone like my mate gave you the story behind the bottle and you went, yeah, I resonate with that. Like, I like that aspect of it more than you know the, the actual taste side. of it or yeah, yeah or like the elitist side of it where it's like you should drink it because it's this appellation this grape, whatever because i mean i know i know if i have to place a bet i know what i can kind of what which bottles i'm going to like more than others based on those things but generally speaking i'd rather try something and like it less based on knowing that it's this crazy story like then mm-hmm. than. uh and that's kind of the same with with everything throughout you know the years i've been working in these like yeah and telling stories and, and things is it's the more you let the person kind of tell their own story, and don't try and put these, this framework of uh, of tradition or of uh, of what's expected from a story on it, the more you actually you like actually listening to what the story is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's the more interesting way of uh, of going going at it for sure.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, totally agree with you. And so let's talk about the Skate Room. So you started working over there not too long ago, right? It's been like a year or not even a year. Yeah, 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 not even a, a year, just under a year. Yeah. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about the Skate Room in itself, like what's what's its mission basically, and how you got involved with them, and and uh, and then we can talk about some of the projects you're you're uh, working on over there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh,
1: the Skate Room is a social entrepreneurship kind of business which works with the world's most influential artists or their foundations and estates, and through those collaborations creates uh, additions on skateboards of art and then Mm. sells those and with the with the profits from those 10% of the revenue from all of that goes towards funding uh, skateboarding social projects
0: and that's right yeah
1: we're we're really we're approaching like 1.5 million dollars in funding for social projects since 2014 and the aim is to it really looks like that's going to accelerate and it's a it's a super exciting project you know I I knew about them for a long time Uh, I interviewed Charles Antoine the uh founder yep, the founder many years ago and i loved the the concept but what i found interesting about it was that a lot of people had seen the boards uh the additions and 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 didn't know about the social engagement aspect yeah and obviously in the world i was in i knew about the social engagement aspect because i was chatting with my friends and they were saying oh we're funded by the skate room or i was attending events like pushing borders the skate room was a pushing borders yeah so in the inside, you know about it. And that world, the social skate world, they know about it. It's a cult, culture and everyone, everyone gets it. In the skate world, more generally, people see it and think, well, I don't, that's like not a skateboarding related graphic, for example. So I don't resonate with it, for example, or the price point is too high because it's not, I mean, you should skate them for sure if you want to skate them. But like, yeah, you know, that's your, that's your wallet. But no, it was the fact that the model, I think for people, the model, once, once the model is clear, people really get it and really understand the benefit of it. And, and it's also a B Corp. So it's got a, which is a sort of ethical business certification, which has become an increasingly kind of cool thing to be. And Yeah, uh, yeah, so you focus on that social engagement, transparency, sustainability, all of that through, through your business. And there's obviously still a long way to go with any of those things, like all those words. They're thrown around so much you know sustainability transparency all that but like the b corp thing gives you a goal and a, and a framework with which to work towards like true goals that you can that you can reach so that's fun so in everything in our dna day to day we work towards those things mm-hmm. it's just yeah it's really fun and honestly it's been you know obviously there's been a lot for working from home over this last year so i haven't spent oh, as yeah. much time with the team as i would like and they're based in brussels and i'm based in amsterdam but I'm going there on Sunday for two weeks, I go there as often as possible. And it's just the loveliest team of people. Like everyone's really excited by every project people really get what they do they really appreciate what they do and you know I'm not coming from the art side I'm coming from the skate side and you've got people who are yeah. coming from the art side and not the skate side so you have these real beautiful moments of education yeah, yeah. learning about these things and you know I'd known for example Charles Charles Antoine I'd known Clara Badieu, who is the impact manager at the skate room I'd known for a long time because she was sort of the face that would that would appear at the events and things a lot and these are people who I'd already had a good relationship with. And so it was just logical, I think, that when they were looking for a writer, I sort of wrote them a, an email saying, you know, I'd like to be a lot more to you than a writer. Like, I'd like to come yeah. and help manage things. And so we slowly developed this kind of communications management role and sort of where I'm sitting, sitting now. And, you know, we just released the Mark Gonzalez uh, collaboration. Yeah, I with-
0: saw that uh, yesterday. Yeah, the little video. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Can you tell me about, about that specific project? What, what is it exactly? Uh, it's a line of boards, basically, that he, that he um, designed? or Exactly. So we're working with Heavyweight Gallery in LA, who are doing a solo
1: exhibition with Mark Gonzalez. And basically, we wanted to do a collection of very limited, hand-touched, so hand-altered editions with Mark, which could be unveiled at that event and then would also be able to be sold online and at our, on our web store. and. Mm-hmm. I think the majority of the run is going to be sold at the event and at heavyweight with 10 hand altered editions of each artwork. There's three three artworks uh, sold on our, on our website. And again, 10% of the revenue from that is going towards a social skate charity. And in this case, it's Seven Hills in Amman, Jordan, which is uh, an amazing organisation that I, again, oh. known about for a while, popped up through Pushing Borders and all those things. And uh, so you can see in that film we dropped, yeah, whenever this podcast goes out, the day we dropped it, whenever that was, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: you can see the, uh, the link there between, like, you know, Mark's real poetic outlook on what skating is and what it doesn't have to be, and mm-hmm. linked to, you know, the way that these kids in Jordan are completely re-
0: Reshaping skateboarding. Yeah, reshaping
1: yeah. their own cult. They're shaping their own culture of skateboarding in a way that allows them to bridge cultural borders between them. You know, Jordan is full of different communities and there are some communities like that don't have any real public service don't have any real kind of benefits or or, or privilege at all and then there are others which have a huge amount of privilege and, and skateboarding has been a way where publicly these kind of communities can come together and so that's the aim of uh, of this collection specifically is to help that that mission
0: yeah that's super sick yeah and so, so, like, if people are, that are listening to this want to, like, get involved with the skate room, what's the best way? Do, do they just go to the website and can they, like, order boards from there or?
1: Totally. Yeah, you can do that. You can go on the website, you can order you can order boards, you can uh, reach out to us on, you know, at the skate room or on the email or whatever and let us know if you have a cool idea or you want to be involved in some way. You know, we've been we've been involved in events in the past, as I say, they're involved in pushing boards, yep. they've been involved in smaller projects, you know, we did a we invited artists to our gallery space in Brussels last year to kind of create live artworks and there's something coming this year for the same time. at the uh uh-huh. Brussels Gallery weekend. So there's a lot of ways. And, you know, we're really interested for my side, specifically in my role, I'm really interested in bringing in the true culture of skateboarding and non-traditional skateboarding specifically into this world we're creating and to make more links between these projects you know the good push alliance oh yeah yeah run by ryan and Bada, and skater stan like again massive shout out and ruby from free movement is now working with them you know they're okay. a real net central network of of projects and we work very closely with them in order to work out you know which projects can we support really help yeah. yeah support and grow and and or build skate parks with or whatever and and just making those links to that to all of these networks, like the more people come together and work together on these things, you know, the more of an alliance you become to shift and shape and reshape the parts of skateboarding and the parts of the industry that maybe need to be refreshed or, you know, given a new lease on life. So that's kind of what it's about. So definitely link up with the skate room for sure. Like, let's
0: do it. Amazing. All right. Well, um, one question that I try to ask people uh, towards the end of my interviews nowadays is, uh, what would you say is uh, like the best lesson or the most most precious thing that you've learned through skateboarding? I mean, I think, to be honest, it's maybe I've said it already, but it's like nothing
1: has to be what people tell you it has to be. And that includes skateboarding. And especially skateboarding has taught me that like not only seeing as a kid, you know, the people who were pushing to re, reshape their skate scene and what they thought skateboarding should be, not only through my career, the magazine, with the conference, with all of that, and meeting all the amazing people along the way who worked so hard on all these projects, and not only now with in this social skate world where I see skateboarding pop up all over the world in different ways and completely deconstructing the perceived notions of what skating is like you can just see it day to day even do you know what I mean you can see it yeah when you see someone at a skate park who doesn't look fully comfortable and you just go up say hi and like invite them in and like spend five minutes just being like isn't it well funny when you fall over and and yeah like get back up because that's ultimately what it's about like the only reason anyone keeps skating is because they they have a very specific type of brain that means that when they fall over they for some reason do it again <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's what we all have in common ultimately i guess right it's like this yeah kind of true strange masochism but i think that it's that's the lesson i've learned is like whenever anyone turns around and be like nah skater is this or no you know this is the way you need to do something or this is what this is or whatever it's like i just see so many examples where that isn't the case all the time that it's hard to take anyone seriously and that extends to most things like outside skateboarding as well it's like yeah
0: of course yeah anyone who's really
1: sure about what something is maybe needs to take a moment and
0: yeah research whether it think again yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly (laughs) All right, so I have questions from people that know you a little bit. I'm excited for this.
1: Hi, Osh, it's Jess here from Skaterstand. You've interviewed people and written about some of the most interesting aspects of the social skate sector over the years. I'm interested to know, what are the projects and initiatives that are really inspiring you right now? Props Jessica. Cheers for the question, mate. I mean, the ones that I all of these projects that pop up along the way inspire me so much but I have to say that it is the ones that I know the most about the inner workings of are the ones that are easiest to get inspired by like the free movement skateboarding project I've been involved with it and I've seen it and I've seen the lengths and the work yeah that these people and a lot of them are my friends you know like go to and that doesn't mean necessarily that they work harder than any of these other projects but Sure. When you see behind the curtain, right? And you can see the, what goes into it. Like that, that for me has been, because again, everything I do, it, it comes from the story. And, and the more you know about the story, the more of a human link there is to that. I think that's sure. a big one. And you know, I mean, a big part for me was the acceptance I felt getting closer to people like Sam and getting closer to people Mm -hmm. who specifically were pushing for, yeah, just like a more diverse conversation in skateboarding. Mm -hmm. And this is coming from a place of, you know, coming from a pretty privileged background where I haven't had to go through that much in terms of like identity kind of crises or anything like this, where I'm wondering, you know, who I am, what I want, but still being a kid and remember being bullied for a lot of things that i was doing things that i was wearing things like that and you know to some degree being able to feel unconditionally accepted by certain people i've met along the way has also been a massive thing and you know in the most kind of modest way possible like not that this is worth a lot but thank you so much to all those people for inspiring inspiring me to keep going on what i was doing as as kind of uh small <laughs> as it as it was you know Mm-hmm. And shout out to Jessica and S of course, because uh, it's always a pleasure to chat with them and do anything with them.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're cool people out there, yeah. All right, so this other question, I won't tell you who it is, and uh, let's see if you can recognize the voice. All right: Hey, my question for you is, what's the biggest good change you've seen in skateboarding since you started uh, working for skateism and Part two of that question is, what do you think is the next change that skateboarding as a whole needs to do to become even better, cooler, and more inclusive? Thank you for being you. See you soon. Bye.
1: So yeah, John, man, um, I think the biggest positive shift has been the the ability for people to—I mean, this is a tired old phrase—but open a dialogue around so many things, and that extends to you know magazines podcasts like this one you know Mm -hmm. films conferences all of that like seeing more and more like I think a new skate magazine called mess just got started and the skate witches which has been around for ages and Mm -hmm. quail skate magazine there's tons tons like that and then you had yeah endless list of 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 amazing projects which like this podcast though you know they focus on like talking a little bit more about what's actually happening because when a culture like skateboarding is kind of on fire and you've got powers from the outside who are that you know want a piece of it
0: yeah it's super
1: important to work out okay which pieces are we willing to give and which pieces do we want to kind of hold dear and i think that this is something that I've believed for a long time is that the more a subculture gets preyed upon by, by the kind of broader culture, i.e. the more people want to look and feel like a skater and want to wear skateboarding and have skateboarding in films and stuff, the more exclusive or the more protective and conservative people become because they need to hold on to no, this bit is ours, like stop, stop appropriating it or whatever, right? But the problem mm-hmm. that does is you kind of close the doors on everyone. So I think that's what was happening yeah. at the time. This is my like two cents on it, right? I mean, it's probably like, there's probably a lot more going on, but my two cents at the time was like at the same time as a lot of mainstream cultural influences were trying to hit skateboarding a lot of new wave non-traditional influences were also trying to hit skateboarding and the quote-unquote core whatever the hell that is Kind of put hmm. up its walls and was like, Now nah, skateboarding is this thing and it meant that you ended up keeping both of them out and actually the biggest and most positive shift has been those fringe aspects and those non-traditional movements in skateboarding have been able to get in and influence and change skateboarding, and actually weirdly, it was some of those bigger mainstream you know influences which were able to assist in some way for that to happen as well. I mean like you know for example. The big shoe companies were the first who were able to give non male athletes living wages and stuff in skateboarding, but doesn't mean it's like that. Fixes everything, but it's definitely an interesting mm. facet when you when you look at how that wasn't the case for a lot of non-big corporate brands because they didn't have the budget because it was so you know at war with uh with with the kind of those bigger brands. It's just it's a very complicated world, but I think that we closed a lot of doors on influences and in people which were actually going to be progressive for skateboarding mm-hmm. and to change conversations. And the biggest positive shift has been that more and more bridges are being built to create those conversations and to allow them to happen mm-hmm. and to tell those stories and invite more people inside or create their own worlds and invite. Yeah. I don't know. And then the, and then the next, the next big shift. I don't know, man. I feel like it's probably not, not me to, to say, I'm not sure my, uh, my barometer is read, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm, I'm detecting what the next big shift would be, but I would say that I would say that what we're looking at now, culturally in the West is a next generation of kids who are awake to a lot of things that the previous generations weren't and that's yeah. going to massively change the way that all subcultures operate all of them and i think that we definitely need to have a long look at how much the tech world plays into that how much uh, time people are spending on their devices and stuff when this is a fundamentally social and outdoor activity yeah but aside from that aspect i think that i think i think the kids have it i think they've got it as long as these platforms for conversation and for storytelling continue to do the work to find where these stories are continue to invite you know people from different walks of life on to tell different stories and to show the next generation that no story no no perceived notion of what something is has to be how it is it can be different it can be different it can be different as long as that Mm -hmm. keeps happening then every individual will feel accepted and that they can tread their own path and take it where they want to take it yeah so I hope that the next, the ne- I don't know what the next shift will be. That's up to the next generation, but we can definitely do our most to give them the tools they need to, to make it happen. You know?
0: That's it for my conversation with Oshin. For more information about everything we mentioned throughout our conversation, I will put some links up in the description. For The Skate Room, go visit their website, theskateroom.com or check out their Instagram account at theskateroom. While you're at it, go support Free Movement Skateboarding in Athens at freemovement_sb, underscore SB, as well as Skatism at Skatism, and keep your eyes open for hopefully a new edition of Pushing Borders at Pushing Borders. Thank you for tuning in. See you soon for a new episode of Beyond Boards.